Welcome to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm Dave Rome, and this week we're diving deep on a topic I've been excited to cover for some time now. This time last year, and at the close of Sydney's last pandemic-related lockdown, I bought myself a small 3D printer and quickly became obsessed with creating all kinds of tools and useful little gadgets. One of my inspirations for getting into 3D printing was seeing what Brian Park, the editor-in-chief at Pinkbike, was creating for himself. And then once I bought that printer, it was Chris Hirschap, an engineer, bike mechanic, fellow club member, and 3D print extraordinaire who helped me get it dialed. Uh, so who better to have on the podcast than those two? And uh, they both have, uh, yeah, these two tinkerers, they've both been creating, designing, and even uh, manufacturing some of their own saleable products as of late. So Brian, I'll get listeners to know your voice first. You will have to duck out soon, so you won't be on for the full podcast. But uh, I'm keen to know what inspired you to get into 3D printing. Hi, um, thanks for having me. Cool to be on the Cycling Tips <laughs> podcast. Um, what Welcome. What inspired me to start 3D printing was in our... Fir- Do you remember that moment when you stopped being able to press a button and have things show up at your door in the pandemic? Like just mm-hmm. things stopped showing up. Mm-hmm. And I had this bottom bracket for a bike and I needed some spacers to fit the the E-wings I have for them on it. And they sell those spacers. Um, but there weren't any in Canada and pressing the button, no matter how much you press the button, they wouldn't show up at my house. I could find a way to get them. It was going to be $70 us for two little pieces of plastic. And I was like, this is ridiculous, totally ridiculous. And I was so frustrated and I was like, there's no shops that have anything. Nobody's got anything. Nobody can ship anything. We're really not very self-sufficient. Are we? I'm useless in this environment. I'm useless. So yeah, there was one night there was a fever dream of me being like, okay, I guess I've got to learn how to 3d print things. And I emailed a few people at 3d print companies like, Hey, would you loan me one or sell me one for cheap or whatever? I just want to learn or talk to me about them. And one of the people that replied was David from matter hackers. He's a huge mountain bike fan. He's Mm. like, Oh, I know pink bike. I'm just camping right now. I think he might've been drinking. It was like 1am or 2am when he (laughs) replied to me. He's like, Oh, we'll get you set up. We'll lend you one. You can try it. See what you think. Um, and yeah, so super supportive there. And, um, yeah, I took to it from there and it was fun. I I did print those spacers. It worked. (laughs) Yeah. How many, how many takes did it take you to get there? So this is your first print, I assume, the spaces. The it was some of the first. Yeah. It took me f- way longer than it would now. Yeah. Now it would be I'd I'd nail it first time for sure. But um at the time I think it probably took ten tries. I was still trying to dial in the machine and yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Where did your journey begin into 3D printing land? Yeah. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. A uh, long time listener, uh, first time guest. <laughs> this is pretty awesome. Um Welcome. Yeah, my my 3D printing journey, I was aware of 3D printers and for the longest time I resisted just even learning anything about them because I knew once that I once I dove in it was going to be all the way down the rabbit hole. And uh then a friend got a 3D printer and he was starting to send me some of the stuff that he he was doing and you know it Kind of, it kind of got me thinking. And so I think it was back 2015, 2016, and I finally dove in. And it's been 
it's been crazy since then. So I, I've got mm-hmm. a background in, I got a degree in engineering that I still haven't used. And um, so I've always enjoyed working with CAD and stuff like that. So it was an opportunity to get back into designing things and not only designing them, but actually being able to make them and see them like right away, which was just awesome. Yeah, nice. What was your first print? My first print, the first thing that I've tried and something that I'm still trying to perfect and haven't was a top cap socket for a shock. Um, There's just the design of it. It doesn't work in consumer uh, filaments. And, you know, you can you can make it so that it kind of works in some situations, but I want to make something that's, you know, reliable in all situations. And I've tried a bunch of Mm. different things. And that was the first thing that I tried. And I still haven't done it. Done a lot of things since (laughs) then, but I still haven't made one that I've been successful, successful and happy with. It's good to like run up on the limitations right away because you're just like thrashing around trying to figure out how this thing works and it, i mean you exactly. at least had an engineering degree i have nothing i'm full, <laughs> yeah. full pretend engineer over here like oh what what is yeah. 3d modeling like yeah yeah no i I've, I've started on a kid's version of cad so you know um i'm at like a grade school you know like a primary school in australia is that level. tinkercad is that the one that you're playing yeah. with yeah nice so tinkercad is is really good for if anybody's out there wanting to learn so to get started, Tinkercad is free. I think it's browser-based. You can get into it there. It is. Um, yeah. And then from there, there is a, you can, it's it's an Autodesk thing, the parent company Autodesk, and they have Fusion 360, which is, I think, the de facto, one of one of the main ones. And that's, that's the one I've been using. Is that what you use, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I use Fusion 360. Uh, the thing that just amazes me is my first job out of college was actually doing... Uh, CAD CAM sales, and I was working as a as, as a tech sales support person. Uh, I was selling. We were selling software. It was a parametric design CAD software, and it started at like ten thousand dollars a seat, and it ran on Unix workstations, and those started at about ten thousand dollars. So I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. twenty thousand dollars just to started up for one seat and that was just the basics it wasn't the simulation or anything and now you can download fusion 360 which is far better far easier to use (laughs) and it runs on your laptop it's just now granted it's been a while and computers have progressed just a tiny little bit but it's just it's mind-blowing the stuff that's out there it's wild. I like yeah. we can't turn this whole podcast into a giant sales pitch for Fusion 360, but <laughs> it is it is quite good. And and we won't. And but yeah. there is a, a like a, a free version, and then there's a a to get some of the CNC stuff, license. Some yeah. of the more advanced functions. Yeah, you do need to buy a, a commercial license. But even that, it's like six hundred bucks a year or something, which sounds expensive for a subscription to to a service like that. But compared to what we, where, we're, where we're coming from in CAD CAM stuff, it's pretty cheap. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm keen to roll back a little bit on the, on the conversation and go back to basics. So um, this is the Nerdlet podcast. This is uh, 
It was always bound yeah. to happen. The rabbit holes will happen. <laughs> but uh, let's let's go. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, I'm keen to, I guess let's let's explain what 3D printing actually is. Um, Chris, do you want to do you want to take this one? Uh, yeah, basic. Well, there's so many, so many different forms of 3D printing. But when you're talking about consumer printing, most of the time, what it, what people are talking about is called fused fused deposition modeling or FDM. Uh, there's a couple other acronyms that are used for it. I know one is FFF. I forget what that stands for. But basically, it's uh, the the best description I've heard of it is a hot glue gun on a pen plotter. And so you're hmm. heating something, you're heating up some plastic, you're extruding it through a nozzle, exactly like a hot glue gun, and you're drawing a picture. Hmm. And once you've drawn that picture, you move up a little bit and you draw a slightly different picture. And as you keep moving up, you draw, you, all these pictures that you draw turn into an actual part. I think that's the yeah. best explanation, explanation I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's I guess two common types of uh, filament based three D printers or or three D prints home based consumer printers. You've got uh, resin and filaments. Uh, Chris, I know you've got both of those. Do you want to explain I guess the the place for each of those? Yeah, most people most people will go with the the uh, filament based three uh, D printers. They melt they melt the filament and create the uh, create the parts that way. Uh, they're cheaper, they're easier to deal with. Um, there's no hazardous materials because the resin, uh, the resin has concerns in terms of like exposure and how you handle it and stuff like that. And the resin also requires post-processing because the way that the resin works is the resin uses basically a cell phone screen and the, uh, the resin itself is a liquid that hardens when it's exposed to UV light. And so the cell phone screen displays a picture and the UV light shines through that. And where it hits the resin, it causes the resin to solidify. And so instead of drawing out a picture, you expose the whole entire thing at once. And then the platform moves and repeats it. So both of them work the same way in that you take a 3D object and slice it into a number of 2D profiles and then build the part up with those 2D profiles. The difference is that the resin works from a liquid to solid state and the filament melts it and prints it. As, as I mentioned, the resin yeah. itself, there's health concerns. You, need, you should be using uh, like a respirator, you want to have gloves on. And then when the whole thing's done, you need to clean it and you need to cure it, which means exposing it to uh, UV light in order to fully set everything that hadn't set. So the, the upside yeah. of the resin printer is it can have fantastic detail. You're doing really small parts like miniatures. Um, the resin printers can do phenomenal detail, whereas most filament-based printers can't do anywhere near that level of detail. But uh, they get filament-based printers gotcha. can go a lot bigger, whereas most resin printers are limited by the screen size, which is often either the size of a cell phone or the size of a tablet. Gotcha. Okay. What would you say is uh, the most accessible for, for home use? Most accessible, I would always recommend go with a filament 
filament-based printer first yeah. because um, it's, I think, a little easier to set up, a little easier to get running, and the you don't need mm -hmm. as much in terms of post-processing. Once a filament printer is done, you just pop it off the print bed and you're good to go. For, for, yeah, Brian's at the Yeah, I mean, for what we're talking about here with bike stuff, in, in the context of bike yeah. stuff, yes, um, we, we want things that are easy to make strong and in general the filaments the like an fdm printer we can get stronger and more f functional and larger things out of it with with less hassle there are ways to make resin prints really strong but mm -hmm. it's not that easy um yeah and yeah uh, yeah in in the context of a bike yeah for sure you definitely want the filament yeah yeah and what's what sort of what's the entry level price point, Brian? I think you've probably I, looked into it maybe for a pink bike article. What's... Yeah, I, I mean, I actually don't know what 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 the cheapest ones are, and I hear some of them like the Ender and some of those are are quite good. But I think sort of your your Prusa is sort of the 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 Toyota of the of the of the three D printing <laughs> filament printing world, and and those are three hundred ish bucks US three fifty something like that. Is yeah. That right? Four, yeah, four hundred yeah, for, for the, the smallest one. Yeah, four hundred for yeah. the mini. Okay, and then so the one I have is a is a fancy clone of the Prusa um, made by Matter Hackers. I think those are like eight or nine hundred bucks. And the only real difference is that it's set up out of the gate for um, like a carbon nylon filament, which is a lot more abrasive than your normal little sausage tube stuff. But yeah, I've spent way too much time learning how to print that really well and no time learning how to print anything else really well. And I'm very happy with yep. my stiffer than normal, stronger than normal, normal carbon nylon filament. Yeah. You sort of started with the, the fancy yeah. stuff, didn't you? You're like your first prints were carbon yeah. fiber reinforced. Yeah. It was, and it was a little yeah. harder so to dial, real structural a little harder stuff. to dial in than standard PLA, but, um, getting there. Yeah. It's great. I, I mean, I made a pedal out of it pretty early on. And that was one of those mm. like bit off more than I could chew too early on <laughs> projects, but that pedal is still exists. Like it's, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And it's, I think it's the lightest set of pedals and like platform pedals in the world. <laughs> it's, it's under, it's 211 right. grams. Wow. For the set. And yeah. I've ridden them on okay. mountain bikes a bunch yeah, wow. and around town on, on a town bike and beat them up and huh. nothing. It's fine. That's cool. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Speaking of early prints, like how how hard has is it to get started for for someone buying their first printer? What do you what do you guys think on this one? Uh, I mean, uh, where's the level at? Uh, Chris is cheating because Chris has an engineering background. It was probably a lot easier for him than it was for me. <laughs> I think the hardest part for me was, you know, as a guy with zero engineering background, you just yeah, you try a bunch of stuff and it fails, and then it stops failing, and it's fine. I, I was able to get a cool print that I was functional and things that I wanted to make on the first day, um, like within the yeah. first hour yeah, or two. And it was just, it was so gratifying yeah. to think of a thing, create it in a model, press a button, and then it exists in the real world is mind blowing to me. Um, yeah. And I think like to, to roll back to the first, the previous question, I think a lot of that has to do with the printer you get, mm -hmm. I think. And Chris was pretty instrumental in me getting a, a Prusa mini as my first printer. Mm -hmm. Cause I was looking to get one of the, the, the Ender cruelty threes, mm -hmm. I think is what they call it. It's a much cheaper printer. Um, and Chris is like, those are great projects in themselves. Like for people that love mm -hmm. to tinker on the printer, that's the one you get. But if you just want to tinker on the actual prints, then 
Prusa or or similar higher end yeah. printer is like will be set and forget for the most part mm-hmm. uh, and you'll be printing a lot quicker with a lot less fuss um i took that advice and yeah i was the same brian i was like two hours including building mm-hmm. the printer and then you know i had some functional prints um and i think that's like the chris is is a is a good resource for this because he has he offers a lot of his designs for download mm-hmm. but his designs were some of the first ones that i printed and it's literally you're just like it's like downloading a PDF file and you're yeah. you're clicking it and you're putting it on a USB stick and then your printer makes the thing. It's it's it can be quite easy. That's the big thing. If you're talking about getting started, you had a specific idea in mind, so you learned the CAD. And I mm. mean, a spacer is fairly straightforward, so not too bad for a first first go. Um, but I think for most people, what they do is uh, go to one of the um, one of the 3D sharing sites. There's a number out there. My personal favorite is Printables, which is a, uh, it's run by Prusa. There's another Thingiverse, which used to be really good, but that that that's actually, mm-hmm. I believe that's Matter Hackers, and they just don't maintain it's, it at all. It's not. It's um. It's not Matter Hackers. It is somebody else. What is it? MakerBot or something. MakerBot. Like that. That's yeah. it. Yes. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, they haven't maintained it and they've done some shady stuff and they had a big data leak and yeah. Oh, annoying. Yeah. yeah. So I've basically moved off of that. But for, for people, when somebody says, Hey, I want to start printing, I was like, okay, cool. Get a good printer and, um, you know, look at these sites and find something that you want to print because the, the best way is start with somebody else's, something that somebody else has shared. And, you know, as time goes by, there's more and more things. Like Dave said, I've shared a bunch of things on uh, on printables. And, you know, so you can take somebody where somebody else has done the work to design it and created the object. And at that point, all you need to do is download the file and then uh, you need to run it through the slicer to prepare it for your particular printer. And that that whole process is easier and quicker and gets you to printed things that you can see and use and, and, and touch faster than if you're trying to learn from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what, what's so, uh, I guess once someone's got the printer, they've, they've downloaded something, what sort of materials are, are going to be the easiest to start with? Uh, Brian, I know you. Yeah. yeah I, went straight, <laughs> probably, I went straight to nylon, which is not, you went straight to the yeah, hard carbon stuff. Carbon nylon is yeah. not that easy, but yeah, you've yeah, got you definitely, PLA and stuff. But yeah, you definitely ahead, dove in the deep end. Um, I I always recommend for somebody just get PLA. Start with PLA. Don't touch anything else until you are confident and you can get good prints with PLA because PLA is a very basic plastic. It's very easy to print with. And there's a lot of things that are going for it, uh, but the the primary of which is it's usually really, really easy to print. And when you start off, you're going to have enough challenges uh, to begin with. When you start off, you want to make your intro as easy as possible. So I would say start with PLA. But maybe don't um, make your like structural spacers out of PLA. <laughs> well, if, the gonna, if Just they might saying. get hot, yeah, you don't want to do that. Not but the move. PLA, but, yeah. yeah. So the issues with PLA is is heat resistance and will break down in UV light because it's basically a biodegradable plastic. Uh, 
what else it's it can be a bit it's brittle, just not right? as strong under it under is, strong it is yeah. brittle but that actually can work in its favor like i have tire levers and a lot of times i'll make tire levers out of pla because they're just hanging in the shop i don't have to worry about their heat resistance and a pla tire lever mm. is noticeably stiffer than a petg tire lever and uh, designs that I've done in PLA, if I need them to be heat resistant, I, resistant, I usually have to adjust them in order to, uh, in order to get them to work well in PETG because it is a more flexible filament. Um, you have the option of going to yeah, like the carbon fiber reinforced stuff, but that stuff is as. <laughs> as Brian well knows, that stuff's a lot more difficult to work with and. I usually try to base my designs around general consumer plastics, things that won't make you really mm. sad if you try to print it without any experience. Even even though, like, if you can dial in nylon, which is a little harder to dial in than, than PLA, oh, yeah. just standard nylon, it, it's, it, that at least is, has, that's got some more strength and I think can be used for a lot of normal things if you design around it pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've just been so yeah. impressed with that with that nylon X with the carbon. It's it's sick. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh so yeah, I guess before we move on to some of the useful things you've printed, um, what would you say some of the common beginner mistakes are that you that you wish you'd known when you first started for both of you? Biting off more than you can chew. I, yeah. So, hey, <laughs> I just got a printer. Let me try and design a pedal. That was, that was the one. <laughs> um, but I got it. It eventually worked. It just, I mean, it took so long. It took so long. Buy some good calipers early on. You'll need calipers to design things if you're going to design them. Yes. Um, yes. What else? Uh, get an enclosure. So I, um, temperature of the. I'm not there uh, yet. Yeah. The temperature <laughs> around, around your space matters a lot as it's printing. And in Canada here, it's cold in the winter in the garage. And so I, I, I built an enclosure to, to deal with that. Um, uh, set up, yeah, set up a remote camera so you can see if a print's failed halfway through. Um, so you don't waste a ton of filament. That, that's about it. Like, it's not, as, it's not that complicated. It's, it really is just squeezing sausage out of a tube and <laughs> little Play-Doh up, building it up from the ground. And yeah, it, it's pretty intuitive, honestly. Yeah, Chris, what about you? What are your what are your top tips? In terms of the enclosure, I mean, I've been printing for years and uh I just before we came on the podcast, I was mentioning to Dave that I just got an enclosure for mine because since I've been working with the more pedestrian filaments like PLA, PETG, uh some ABS, I've just started experimenting with the, the like the polycarbonate and carbon reinforced polycarbonate. Um, so I've just started to get to the point where a, uh, where an enclosure is a benefit for me. Uh, so mm -hmm. for years using just standard filaments, uh, I didn't feel the need for an enclosure. Uh, there were definitely times where it could have benefited me, uh, in terms of, I, I think definitely you're talking about biting off more than you can chew. I think definitely keep it simple. Start off with simple mm. things and work your way up because it, it will get yeah. frustrating. That's the one thing I can guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. 
Brian, I'm aware you're going to have to jump off in a, in a couple of minutes. So I'm going to jump ahead with one of the questions for you before you sure. leave us, which is, uh, can you tell us about some of the prints you're most proud of? Oh man. Well, I've been feeling guilty cause I haven't put a, I haven't talked about much of this and people keep asking me. So I'm going to on pink bike in the next week, maybe by the time this is out, um, uh, maybe that'll, this will give me the, mm-hmm. the kick in the ass I need to get it out the door but I'll put up a, a little update on a few of the things I've made and and give people some download links um but um I've done some really basic things that are helpful like a Presta to Schrader rim adapter I had a I accidentally ordered mm-hmm. a Schrader rim I had some Presta valves that I really like those high flow ones from uh 76 projects they do a bunch of 3D printing on an HP setup too by the way but that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I did. Um, I did an inline mount for a one-up pump. That I'm actually. I think I might do a run of them. Uh, I designed it for a frame mm. frame builder here in Victoria. Who she's um, she's got a bike for for a hand built show later this year, and she she asked for a specific type of of um, one-up pump holder, and so I've done that. It's super light and low profile and holds really well. Keeps it like. In line with the tube, it, yeah. Of the bike, in yeah, line with it, as opposed to off to the side of exactly. a cage. Yeah. Um, it it also yeah. I designed it so it can go on the back of a. Have you seen those um, king cage uh, side loaders? Mm-hmm. There's like some side load king cages, and they have a, a center hole. Yeah, and so you can actually put it off the back of a king cage side loader as well for like the most compact. If okay. you have a small frame or something, yes, yeah, so I designed it to hold yeah, onto right. that. Um, and it just uses like a voile strap. Um, so it holds on better and it's lighter. Um, I made, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll send, I'll release this one just as a design for people. I made like a drink holder that steps down. It's for like a town bike. Mm. So it steps down from like beer can sizes all the way down through like your smallest, um, Red Bull. I think it's the smallest slim can or sleek can. I forget what you didn't start it at a growler. I didn't start it at a growler. Would it? No, no. I I went, I went from, (laughs) I went from standard 355 down um, to, yeah. Gotcha. So it's like, it's, it's for yeah. beers and soft drinks and stuff. Responsible, yeah. responsible yeah. drinking. Yeah. If you're going to yeah, drink okay. a beer, just have yeah. like your normal 12 ounce beer. You don't need to go cra- crazy. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's fun. That just sits on, our, on my cargo bike. I made an air tube on cool. uh, bracket. Like, so it's a, an air tag holder that is inside of a tube strap. So if you have a, or a tube strap bracket. Okay. So I'll actually, I think I might do a run of those as well at some point. Um, yeah, interesting. And then I think okay. the one you're obviously asking about is the, the climb switch high performance system. <laughs> I I've oh, obviously, obviously, okay. Yeah. So that was a gift for Mike Levy um, that ended up spending way too much time on. And then enough people bugged mm-hmm. me about it that I did a small run of them and it stows up like a mini Bic lighter, a one hitter, and whatever material you you choose inside <laughs> of your steerer tube, um, or in your or in your one up pump. Um, obviously, I strongly yep. condemn any impaired riding. This is for transport only, people. Okay. And if anybody yes. asks, it's a fire safety kit. Okay. <laughs> for starting fires, if you need to. Um, yeah, it was it was a huge design. I'm sure that I'm. Yeah, it, it took forever. I'd be quicker at it now, but it was a lot of trial and error. And, um, yeah. yeah, I got them. Yeah. I, I eventually got a design I'm happy with and, um, had, had a, like, uh, I had 50 of them made out in, um, 
trail bc out of with an hp setup so uh, a d- okay. slightly different right okay type because i didn't want to print them all myself and yeah i yeah. i put them on the internet and just on my instagram and they sold out in 36 hours <laughs> it, was, nice. it was ridiculous wow. yeah they're all okay gone. and that's for and that just works with the one up threaded the one up threaded steer cap or the pump exactly yeah interesting um, i'm sure right. what do you do with the multi-tool you put it in your pump or is that you can put it right like oh, you okay can, you just move it also like if if you have this and then you have a mechanical you just yeah you just walk out it's instead and of you, you have a nice mellow walk out of the woods it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um, i do i do have to run to a meeting here folks so yes um i guess all ryan thanks for joining us i would leave everybody with just get a 3d printer and start making shit like i want to i want there to be a time where i can just download a bike so yeah. everybody get on that All right, Chris, I'm, I'm keen to roll back a little bit. We jump forward to, to get Brian's uh, take on the, the most fun things he's printed. But uh, before we get to yours of those, uh, I guess I'm keen to hear about the useful things you can print. Um, so what, what are some of like the, I guess, the prints that you offer on printables? What are some of your most, most downloaded things? What are the things that you think are, are most useful that people can print at home? Well, the, one of the most downloaded things that I've got is actually something uh, a buddy of mine designed it and uh, we're actually friends because we started talking um, he designed it he designed a way to measure screws you basically it just had a slot in it and it had markings and he did it so that there were heat set nuts in the back so that you could check the thread and I was like, that's cool, but I don't want to have to buy heat set nuts. So I'm going to just change it so that it's got a slot in it. And it ranged from M2 to M5 metric screws, because those are common in a lot of maker projects. People who are working with uh, elect- uh, electrical projects, Raspberry Pis, things along that line. Those smaller screws are a lot more common. And um, so he he designed it. And when you have designs that are shared online, they're shared with a um, with a license. And often the license allows you to remix it and come up with a, a a different version of it. So I remixed his I downloaded it and then I just basically made modifications to it. So it no longer needed the heat set nuts. And um, it just had slots, which were simple. You put a, you, you slide a, uh, a screw in from the side and you can tell oh, that's roughly an M5. And then you drop it in the slot and you take a measurement. And uh, I had shared that on, um, at the time it was uh, Thingiverse. And it was, you know, a couple people found it. It actually got featured on the front page of Thingiverse, so more people found it. And then it actually got mentioned in several 3D printing videos, which was really cool, which, you know, it's just the more people knew about it, the more people found it, and the more people found it, the more people knew about it. And that just snowballed. That had uh, that had thousands and thousands of downloads and so that was the biggest thing. And I still, to this day, remind the guy who designed the original that my most successful thing was 
uh, a modification <laughs> to his design. So, yeah, right. um, but has I have, yours had more downloads than he than his has. Oh yeah, far more. Oh, far more. That's a win. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, and then you know, like uh, people came and they said, "Well, could you do this? Could you do that?" And uh, a lot of people took the design and came up with their own. And so there's a bunch of remixes of my remix. And That's like cool. some people wanted to go back to, <clears throat> to having nuts in it. And my design, I made the, I made printed in threads so that you yeah. could, you didn't need any additional hardware. I didn't want to buy any additional hardware. So I did printed in threads and that was all well and good except for like an m2 screw an m2 screw is like a 0.3 thread pitch so it was far far too fine for a printer to do reliably but in all the sizes i use like the m3 and the m5 it worked okay but uh so some people did their own version with uh printed in nuts uh where you uh, took an actual hex nut and uh put it in the part so you could do that. Um, that's one of my biggest designs, which isn't actually mine, but I've had in terms of other things, uh, I mean, last time I ran a backup of my fusion 360, uh, I had over a thousand individual designs. So when you say, which ones am I most proud of? I would say, well, how much time do you have? Because, I've just long list. Oh yeah. There's, there's so many things where it's like, and there are so many times where, you know, a lot of it's a bike stuff. The, the vast majority of it is bike stuff, but sometimes we're working around the house and, you know, I go, we're installing, say a new, uh, a, a new faucet on the bathroom sink. And, you know, I need, Oh, I, this would be so much better if I could, make this little spacer for here and you know i go and do five ten minutes of design work another 10 15 minutes of printing and then i have like it's it's a one-off thing i'll never ever use it again but it was a useful thing that i didn't have 10 minutes before that is yes a perfect fit for that particular application so i've got that's funny. I, I fixed a, a, a tap in our house uh, <laughs> a few days ago, the 3D print as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, there's just like we were hanging curtains in, in my wife's office and the one uh, the one curtain rod hanger was going to be on a piece of trim. So the curtain was either going to have to be too far out mm. or it wasn't going to be even. So I took some measurements, ran off a print, and the curtains are still hanging. One of the curtain hangers is the original hardware, which is metal, and the other one is a printed piece, and it's been up there for years. So, you know, it's not just applications in terms of bikes. There's just tons of useful things that you can do with it. In terms of, like, bike-related stuff, there's been a lot of stuff recently. Most recently, I have a... uh, I was contacted by uh, by Mike Jenner of Trek Sager Fredo. He's he's a mechanic on the women's team, and they were frustrated by the uh, the most recent SRAM T forty seven dub bottom bracket, 
It's got like T47 is great because it's a standard that everybody agreed on. But then, you know, okay, everybody's agreed on this one standard. Well, we can't have that. We have to have everybody disagrees on the tool interface. So SRAM has their own tool interface. It's 16 pins, but it's extremely thin. It's only 1.8 millimeters thin. Mm-hmm. And so the mechanics were constantly frustrated with that. There's a lot of uh, a lot of tool manufacturers that make sockets, but the problem is, the farther you are above that uh, that that tool interface when you apply the torque, it's going to cause the whole entire thing to rotate off. So you're not just applying the torque to turn the bottom bracket, but you're also applying a torque that's going to make it kind of rotate off. So yeah, the Mike's cam off like, effect. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Mike's like, is there anything you can do? And at this point, I had just done a, uh, a design that uses a 3D printed handle and press in metal dowel pins to work with either a Shimano bottom bracket or an external brake rotor lock ring. So I had, um, I had just done that, and I was like, well, maybe there's something I could do with that. And he's like, well, yeah, give it a try. And, you know, I off the bat, I'm like, no, you can't, you know, Abby makes tools like this that uh, that aren't quite doing it. I'm just a guy with a printer. What can I do? And I did, you know, over a couple months, I did a lot of a lot of prints, a lot of test fitting. Initially, I was using five millimeter pins but it turned out they were just a tiny bit too big. So I went to three sixteenths inch and I try to, I try to stay away from the Jurassic style stuff. But in this case, three sixteenths is like 4.75 millimeters. And the fit okay. was absolutely perfect. And, you know, considering SRAM nice. is an American company, it's not a huge surprise. So I wound up making this part where the handle is printed and the uh, the pins are metal, and they're pressed in. And I sent one to Mike, and he absolutely loves it. And he keeps showing it to other mechanics. And I've got a <laughs> stack right over here of I think nine of them that I'm going to yeah, be right. sending to Mike to give to all his friends and coworkers and stuff because it works so well, and they they love it, and they all want their own. So. You know, that's that's something I've actually just uh, released on my store and I've gotten a couple orders already. And it's a single use thing, but it apparently works really, really well at what it does. So, you know, I'm super, super proud of that one. <laughs> yeah, nice. And and you've got a, a little adapter to it now so you can sort of hold it. You can retain that that tool onto the onto the cup so it can't actually slip off. Am yes, I yeah. not so, making that up right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I have I've designed it to there's an M6 screw that goes through it and then I've designed mm-hmm. a basically a locator pin that is it's it's the dub size. It's about 29 and a half millimeters and then it's got a little step on it and it's got printed in threads because it doesn't need to hold a lot of force it just needs to hold the tool in place and yeah. I've done a little testing without that and the the fit is such that it works without it but you know it's just kind of belt and suspenders kind of thing uh, where the uh, the screw goes through the bottom bracket and the pin holds it from the other side holds everything yeah. together so you can just lay on it and because of the design you're applying the force almost in plane 
with the uh, the tool interface. So there's very little force yeah. to cause it to uh, to to rotate off to begin with. Yeah, nice. There's there are an increasing number of tools on the market now that use a similar threaded thread interface to really yes. secure the tool into place, which just goes to show you how problematic this issue is. Like yeah, the T forty seven internal bearing, you've got literally maybe two millimeters of of tool interface to to engage with, and um, so yeah, a lot of brands have been experiencing. Uh, customers stripping stripping their bottom bracket cups or, yeah. or ruining the tool trying to remove it so abby's now put threads into their cups park tools doing yep. it yep wheels manufacturing it's a long list but the difference is is that all of those are still as you say you're, they're putting the the torque load quite far out from the tool so you're right. still you're almost having to use that retainer yeah. to use those more so- normal sockets. Yeah, exactly. Then there's also the fact there's the cost of, of those machine tools and uh, I'm sure from Mike Jenner's point of view, there's the weight of those alternative systems. So he's yeah. you know, he's, he's a world tour mechanic. He travels with his bike case. It, it costs money every time he gets on a plane with his tools and I guess you, some of your solutions are, are proving uh, cost-saving to him for every single time he goes to a new race. Yeah, I actually have something. I've I've posted it. I, I've shared some older designs on printables, but it's a dummy pedal, very similar to the Park dummy pedal. And I've got three variations. Two are shop size, so they're full. Or they're a full handle. And then I have the uh, the the travel case ones, which are uh, they're short. They're only like fifty millimeters. The handle's only like maybe 40, 50 millimeters long. And I've got three versions of that. I've got one that has bearings in it, which is a little heavier, but super, super smooth because, you know, your dummy pedal needs to be super smooth. Uh, I've got one which is simpler, which is just, you know, it just uses the plastic itself as a bushing. But the one that I think that pro mechanics are going to find the most interesting is I have a weight weenie version. It uses an aluminum bolt as a backbone basically and the entire design has been pared down so the entire dummy pedal weighs 20 grams so uh, i haven't released that one yet just because i just haven't gotten around to it the store's been keeping me busy but i think that one i I think there are some people who will at the very least find that one amusing because yeah that's a weight weenie tool is pretty funny yeah, I have to say this might just that might have been a, a top ten nerd alert moment as far as <laughs> <laughs> yes, it might have, and that makes me proud. I won't lie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Um, <laughs> well, I'm I'm keen to get an understanding then. So we've we've spoken about some really useful products that you're proud of. Uh, what are some pointless things that you've made? Oh God, I've made so many pointless things. I've made <laughs> a bunch of, so uh, we watch the Mandalorian with my nephew and uh, around the time that we were watching the Mandalorian, we got a new, uh, a new vehicle, a Ford Transit Connect. And I started calling it the Razor Crest. So I went on and I downloaded uh, a bunch of designs that other people had uh, made I have the Mythosaur skull in printed in silver as a hood ornament. I have the Mudhorn signet that that he gets in the first season, second season. I forget exactly which episode it was, 
but his Mudhorn Signet. I have one on each side, and I mirrored them so they're facing forward. They're uh, they're on the door, and <laughs> uh, I actually printed out. I I duplicated the font of the Transit Connect badge, and I made it say Razorcrest. So oh, wow. yeah, so I've done a lot of a lot of stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, huh. there's just a lot of so many things that I've made that are, you know, just amusing. And, you know, I made it just simply cause I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got the means. Yeah, exactly. When, when you've got a printer, I, I like to say so many times that there's the saying when you, when you have, all you have is a hammer, everything mm-hmm. looks like a nail, which is, you yeah. know, a, a Kaylee reference, of course. But I yeah. like to say that when you've got a 3D printer, everything looks like its solution needs to be printed. Yeah, and I can I can confirm that you have this this state of mind because you're you're often in the Velo Club Slack channel. Uh, <laughs> when anyone ever has a problem, you're like, oh, there I could 3D print a solution to that. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. we can do that. What's your address? Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and that's that's the thing too because you're talking about the usefulness of 3D printing. Uh, I was actually contacted by uh, by um, somebody on the uh, Velo Club Slack. He had a canyon, and mm. I believe it was a canyon uh, a canyon ultimate, I think. And um, they have a cap over the rear axle. It's just a flat piece of plastic. It's got the canyon logo uh, embossed on it, but it's just a flat piece of plastic that mounts with double sided tape. And he contacted yeah. me because his had fallen off or gotten lost or something. And he looked and Canyon would sell him one, but it was five bucks for the part and it was 10 bucks for shipping. Yeah. And I had him take a couple measurements and I drew it up and I printed out six and I taped them to a, a piece of paper, put it in a standard envelope, threw a stamp on it and sent it to him. And it fit perfectly. So, I mean, nice. literally for the price of a stamp, I was able to get him this cover. And I've actually, since then, somebody's contacted me about the, I believe it's called the Speedmax CF is their tri-bike. Yeah, yeah. And that has the similar thing. It's just a simple cover. And um, I con- he contacted me. He took some pictures, put a ruler next to it, and I imported that. And I sent him one. And it was a little too big, so I made some adjusted adjustments, sent him another one. And while I was working on that design, I went to Canyon site and I found that cover. And they wanted 10 bucks for the cover and 15 bucks for shipping. So a yeah. simple little piece of plastic that took literally three minutes to print was yeah. 25 bucks to get it to my house from Canyon. And uh, that's one of the things that's really cool is SRAM is one of the companies. Both SRAM and Hope have started making things available. And yes. SRAM has been making tools available. And I've printed some off and given them to the mechanics at work. Yep. And, you know, I come back in. At, when I say at work, I mean at the bike shop. And I come back in and they're like, dude, that works perfectly. And yeah. yeah, it's it's like their, I, I know they've got their front derailleur adjustment tool, yes. the one that you put into their wireless derailleurs, and basically it does the alignment for you. Yeah. Um, and they've got, what else do they have? They've got the, the B-gap tool, I think, on there. 
They've for, uh, for their they, derailleur adjustments. I think they might have the B gap tool. They have a bunch yeah. of really funny things for blips. They have a design where you can mount blips on down tube shifters. So mm. you could put, if you had an access okay. bike, you could yep. put. If if it was an old steel frame with down tube shifters, you could actually put blips in the down tube shifters and use those to shift your bike, which I think is just absolutely hilarious. And but it's just so cool that this is stuff that's coming from official manufacturers. And I think so many more could do this. Yes, but they haven't yet. And I, I think I hope that that's something that they will consider doing at some point because sure. I think more and more people have printers. And I think, you know, I'm talking to more and more bike mechanics who are becoming interested, you know, a lot of, because of the, the possibility that I've shown with, you know, you can print these things, you can print tools, you can print parts, mm-hmm. you can print things like that. Uh, a lot more bike mechanics are becoming interested in this in, sure. in getting printers. Yeah, the tools is what got me interested because there's a, a few ideas floating in my head and also just the occasional, like the one that keeps coming up is bearing drifts. Uh, yeah. oh, drifts yeah. for, for a bit, you know, if you've got a, a normal bearing press or even if you've got a, a piece of threaded rod and some some nuts and some some washers, you can basically print yourself any size bearing drift and you like you, you can use that the the kids version that I spoke about before. You can draw circles in in Tinkercad and yeah, and uh, you know you can have a, a workable a workable bearing drift within 10, 15 minutes once you used to once you know what you're doing. And uh, for me, that's been awesome. Um, yes, like just uh, I've got a many many bearing drifts um, <laughs> more than most need. But even uh, yeah. even even despite the fact that I probably have four to five full sets of hub overhaul kits, there's still occasionally the time where you're like, oh, I don't have an answer to that hub. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, for so, sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 awesome being able to do that stuff. Um, you mentioned Hope before doing offering their prints. Um, yes. I've seen they've got some some cool little brake, brake bleed tools and um, caliper servicing, like piston exposure. Uh you also have something like that as well, right? You've got some stuff for Shimano. Yes, yeah. That you, I that you've uh, it was funny. I was working on my own brakes at one point, and I have you know the usual yellow Shimano brake spacers. And on my one bike, because of how the uh, how the adapter and how the frame lines up, it's always really fidgety to get the yellow brake block to go in from underneath. And, you know, if the if the brake was centered, you know, I could loosen it up and then I could get it in. But if the brake was centered, it's probably going to be centered anyway. And I'm looking at Mm -hmm. it and I'm like, it would just be so much easier if it loaded from the top. So I Mm -hmm. took some measurements, took a couple brake pads, took some measurements and I just created these brake blocks that are, you know, I mean, a brake block is really simple. It's it is a block. Um that just keeps the pistons from coming out while you're bleeding the brakes. And so I just designed it so that it would go in from the top because Shimano brakes, you can load the pads from the top. So why not load your tools from the top? And uh, I had previously done a, uh, uh, Shimano has their piston exposure 
tool where, well, Mm -hmm. they don't have one. Their actual (laughs) procedure is, okay, take this, take your normal yellow block, put it in a, uh, put it in a vice and hacksaw half of it off. And I was like, that's, that's awful. I mean, yeah, you know, any bike shop has, has a, uh, a hacksaw and an abundance of these brake blocks in there, but you know, you, you gotta be able to make that. So a long time back I made, and this is, this is shared on printables as well. It's a uh, piston exposure tool, but it loads from the bottom. And, Mm. uh, uh, recently when I had this idea that the the brake blocks should go for the top from the top, I was like, I should make a piston exposure version of that. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I sent it, I sent it to, uh, printed out some and I sent it to our mechanics and said, Hey, you know, give, give this a try. Let me know what you think. And, uh, it just so happened that it was right between your brake, uh, articles, your how to deal with disc brake articles. Yeah. And so I sent it to you and said, Hey, what do you think? And you're like, I want to put this in the article. And I was like, Oh, 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 okay. So, you know, that, that was what I had, uh, I had started setting up the (laughs) Etsy store and, uh, uh, toolbox wars actually had suggested, but you were like, I'm going to put this in my article. And I was like, Oh, okay. I need to get this store ready. (laughs) And that first couple days after you published that article, I was very busy. Oh. The printers were very busy and I was filling a lot of packages. <laughs> but yeah, oh, they've, happy they've to hear been, it. They've oh, I'm been sorry. doing it. I don't know what to say. No, <laughs> no, no. It was a good thing. It was a good thing. It forced okay. me to finally get off my button because, you know, I've been doing this for years and every time I show somebody, they'd be like, oh, you got to sell this. And I was like, yeah. I've got two jobs already. I've, I've got the day job and I've got the side job at the bike. I want a third job. But, you know, it was everybody was saying it. And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to feature this in my article. I was like, okay, I need to actually do this. And it's been yeah. great. You know, I've been, yeah. I've been releasing stuff. I got a lot more stuff that, you know, I, I still need to release. And a lot more stuff that I think is going to be useful and that people will actually like. You know, I'm not just releasing mm-hmm. stuff to sell it, but, you know, it's stuff that... I've found useful. So, yeah. uh, but uh, we're not, we're not done yet, but where, where are you selling stuff? How can people find that? Uh, the store is called CMH printed designs and it's on mm-hmm. Etsy. And, okay. All right. uh, it also, it, I have it linked from my Instagram, which actually is probably easier to find CMH printed designs because if you have to figure out how to, uh, spell Chris Hirschap on Instagram, it's probably easier <laughs> just to stick with CMH printed designs on uh, yeah cool. uh, on Etsy. All right. Well, yeah, we've still got a few more questions before we wrap it up. I'll get you sure to thing. remind us all of uh, what what that address is again. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm keen to to hear where you think the tech is headed. You mentioned bike mechanics. You mm-hmm. mentioned uh, an increasing number of bike mechanics are showing interest in 3D printing for being able to find solutions that I guess previously didn't exist to them. Yeah. Um, where do you see that going? Do you, do you foresee a day where a bike mechanic could just hit print on a derailleur hanger or, or is that still a, a while away? 
I have seen printed derailleur hangers, and I mm. don't know as the tech is quite there yet, but yeah. I mean, the, the tech is advancing, and we'll get to the point, if we can get to the point, Brian was talking about using carbon fiber reinforced plastics. He was mm-hmm. he dove straight into the deep end. Yeah. I've just started playing around with that stuff, and it's got its own frustration. And he also got a printer that was optimized for that. So, you know, that has its own frustration. But if you went with the more engineering grade plastics, yeah, derailleur hanger might be possible. Um, But I definitely think that there's in the near future, I definitely think that it's possible that a bike shop could have a 3D printer, just a small 3D printer with a library of things that... They just go over and they don't have to worry about slicing it because it's already been pre-sliced. It's already ready to go. All that they have to do is, you know, choose, okay, I need this frame fitting and hit print. And five, 10 minutes later, they've got something ready to go. Or, you know, in terms of basic tools, like a tire lever, like anybody who's ever put on a GP5000 tubeless knows what it feels like to break more than a couple tire levers. So, you know, you could be five minutes away from a couple more tire levers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the derailleur hanger one's really interesting because, like, SRAM, I think the uh, universal direct hanger might actually be thermoplastic. I think there's, there's brands really? that do metal ones. I think it might actually be, like, a yeah, an engineering thermoplastic. So, um, or there are variations of it that are thermoplastic because the design doesn't, uh, is like, it's, it's very heavily reinforced by the frame. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, the way you, things are going, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting I've got one. A couple, uh, I've got a couple bikes downstairs with, uh, yeah. with those on it and I want to run downstairs right now and check, but I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, don't quote me on that. I, I, I've been meaning to confirm that with SRAM, but uh, it suddenly felt that way. The last one I had in my hand. So, Wow. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's some cool, uh, the other one that comes to my mind is, um, Aegis, I guess the, the bushing specialist company, they make mm. the, like the Norglide, uh, low friction bushings that you find in rear shocks, you find in some frame pivots. They themselves are actually now selling reels of filament of their material. Really? So, yeah. So you can, uh, and it's designed for, um, low quantity manufacturing is what they've they've released it for so it's like uh their yeah their norglide nylon um so you can actually print bushings like engineering quality low friction bushings in any size on a consumer printer tell me that's a standard size filament and that's the second thing i'm going to do after we're done it's here. a standard size filament so oh, only, i need to find so that. the only reason why i don't have a, a reel of of this stuff yet is um it's like a hundred dollars or so because it's you know it's it's a very high-end material that they they can justify charging that much for for um, sure for yeah. sure but uh, like I came across this, the, you know, a few months ago, I was trying to repair an old GT full suspension mountain bike that had these really silly little top hat bushings in it that I couldn't find in Australia. They don't bring them into Australia anymore from what I could tell. Yeah. US didn't really bring up any resources. I found them out of the UK, but again, it's kind of like that Kenyan part. It would have cost me like $40, $50 for these tiny little right. bushings. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up just printing, trying it out with... Uh, PETG and uh, it actually 
from last I checked, it was holding together. So, See, that's what I, um, I would have tried, like a, uh, a PLA or a PETG. I probably would have started with the PLA because it's got yeah. the, the lower it, it's got the lower temperature resistance, but PLA mm-hmm. being a harder, uh, more rigid plastic, I probably yeah. would have started with that. I've, I've wondered, I've thought about doing some testing to see like PETG, PLA, which one has better friction properties, but I've never gotten around to that. But yeah, yeah I, that, that's exactly what I would have done. Uh, I'm struggling to remember what I did, but I think I started with PLA and I think I might have, because it's such a tiny part, I think it might have cracked underneath the bolt torque yeah, um, where it's being pinched. Yeah. Um, and then I, I needed just a, a plastic that was a little bit more flexible. But yeah, it's not going under a lot of movement. This is like a, for anyone that knows the GT bikes, this is for like a, a dog bone off a, uh, an iDrive. But um, yeah, so it's... Uh, I don't know. There's, there's just forever, like, you know, pre, if I didn't have a 3d printer, I would have never have thought that to be a solution. And I would have just probably yeah. ended up spending a hundred dollars to get the dumb little part. So, and that's the thing. I mean, like during any normal day, there, are, there have been days when I've done 10 new designs just because of the things that I'm working on that day, <laughs> I immediately, I can print that. And yeah. you know, some of them don't work, uh, but a lot of them do. Yeah, so I think that's it's pretty cool. Like as as you say, like there there may be a day where at least you could go into a bike shop and a part that was previously made of plastic and they'd have to order it in. Yeah, could be could be produced for you that same day. Um, do you know? Have you been keeping track of like consumer based metal printers at all? Is that is that an area that you've been looking into? I haven't really uh, I haven't really been following the tech too much. Uh, you, mm. We were talking about brands of printers before, and you were talking about didn't uh, we? We didn't want this to turn into a Fusion three sixty ad. <laughs> uh, this definitely could become a Prusa ad because I'm such a fan of their stuff. Um, so you know, I have three Prusas, and you know, I just use them all the time. Um, but mm. in terms of like what's available in terms of consumer, every now and then I'll look at what's available in metal tech. I've seen some filaments where they're using a very high metal fill and then you basically print out this high metal fill part and then you uh, basically center it in an oven. Uh, I don't know if that's mm. quite the right. You, you bake it in a high temperature oven and it centers okay. the parts uh, you've got to account for there's there's massive part shrinkage because you're losing a lot of plastic and it's yeah. not a truly metal part because you're losing a lot of plastic from the interior of the structure. But that's that's still really cool that you can print something on a consumer printer that after a little bit of post-processing, you've got an actual metal part and it yep. might not be, you know, everything that a like a, a machined metal part would be but no. it's still super super cool yeah that is really neat so um yeah it's definitely a space that uh, i think we'll probably have to return to on another episode but uh, oh for sure that's probably the future for you know bike shops and stuff as that stuff becomes more price accessible uh you know 3d filament printers right now are very price accessible they cost you know probably the equivalent of a really nice headset press so it's uh um you know it's it is a tool that shops can afford but uh yeah metal printing is a different a different world um 
what are what are you working on at the moment? What's uh you you mentioned some things in in process. Anything you want to tease? <laughs> well, I had just uh, just the other day. Uh, so a while back, I came out with uh, something that replaces the head on a park derailleur gauge, and mm-hmm. uh, it basically it's it's a printed part. And it holds the indicator, but it allows the indicator to flip out of the way, much like you'd see on a uh, like the the, the Abbey Hag, uh, of which I have two. They're fantastic. Uh, or Park Tools own Dag Three. They're pro. Yeah, they're pro level the Dag tool. Three. Yeah. And so I came up with that. I had that in the back of my head for uh, for a long time. I've always got a bunch of ideas in the back of my head, and you know, sometimes get around to it. And, uh, so I came out with that and sent that to yourself as well. And you were like, this is great, but if it doesn't have a locking screw, it's a no go for me. And I was like, yeah, okay, I can do that. And, you know, I think it was like 20 minutes later, I was like, okay, here you go. (laughs) Try this. And, you know, it was all M5 hardware. So it was all, you know, general basic hardware and you're like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. And, uh, you know, you shared that one on Instagram. And again, I got like oh, so much, uh, <laughs> so much interest and so much attention on that. And it was funny because I had for years, I had a DAG 1 and I had a DAG 2.2. And the DAG 1 was in the car for my travel uh, stuff. And the DAG 2.2 was in the uh, um, in the uh, in the shop. And I got an Abbey Hag and I got it. And I was like, I love this thing. This thing is just amazing. Yeah. And yeah, it's one of my then, favorites. Yeah. yeah. And then I wanted to get one for home use as well because the Hag I had in my toolbox, it is actually small enough, fits in the toolbox. And so at the, around the same time, a buddy of mine was looking for a derailleur hanger and all of them were out of stock, you know, parts availability being what it was. And I was like, hey, I got an idea. I'll sell you my DAG 2.2. And, you know, I will take what you pay me and I will buy myself a uh, a HAG for home. And he's like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. And I was like, okay, before I do this, I should just make this flip DAG thing that I've been thinking about for the longest time. So I came up with it and I started using it. And I got to say, for shop use... I actually like it better than the hag because, you know, just the the bulk and the size of the the park body works so well. And then once you can flip it out of the way, but I had already sold it to my buddy. So I was like, (laughs) okay, you got this. But but, you know, it's just like this simple thing that turned a good tool into a great tool. And hmm. that, that was yeah. just, I thought that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Yeah. I actually, that, that modification that you let me print, um, actually made me add the DAG 2.2 back to my tool wall in my workshop. <laughs> so I still use an Abbey, an Abbey hag tool for most yeah. things, but when I want something like a, a bit more of a blunt tool, like maybe it's going in a bike where I know the hanger threads may be a bit dodgy or like it's going on a kid's bike where the wheel's too small in size to use the Abbey. The park tool comes out or I need, you know, it's a nice strong hanger that needs some force behind it and I want to 
bend you the thing. You want a bigger lever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and that park tool now sits back on the wall like it used to. Uh, and I've actually got a DAG-3 in its box now because, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things, um, sorry, I was reading your review yeah. on the DAG-3 and I saw where you said it doesn't have a lock nut. And I was like, oh, that's why he said it was a no-go. And I was thinking, God, I should make a flip DAG for the DAG-3 so that it has it has the sliding capabilities, but it also locks in place. But I don't have access to yeah. one. And you know, I need to yep, prototype so. and stuff, but that would be yep. that would be really funny to improve that tool as well. Yeah. So yeah, so my reason for wanting that lock nut is just uh when you're using a derailleur hanger tool, you're sort of moving it from around the rim and you you have a, it's quite common for you to accidentally knock it against the rim or, or the tire that then moves that and get indicator and then you have to reset and you have to restart from where you where you started so being able to lock the gauge in place just gives you like the knowledge and the i guess the confidence that the setting hasn't changed yeah so you'll you'll feel it hit the rim and you then know that you need to bend the the hanger from the bottom or whatever it is but you um you're not having to keep repeating yourself because the indicator keeps moving so that was one of my frustrations with the dag three Another thing, when when uh, you recommended that, another place that that actually came in handy was when I made uh, when I made the um, the version for the Dag One because the size is just a little bit different. When I made the version for that, I sent some prototypes to the Summer Somerville Bike Kitchen, which is I believe in Massachusetts, and he came back and he's like, "This is great. My my Dag One is great, but the other one." I uh, lost the indicator rod. So we use a cut down quick release skewer and that thumb screw allows us to still use it because it locks it in place. And I was like, Oh, that's funny. I'd never even thought about that. I just assumed you had a complete hag or a complete dag. And you know, you just pull out the original indicator and put this back in, but they had one and they were using a cut down quick release skewer as an indicator. And so having that yeah. makes it more versatile, which I just thought was really clever. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's it's it's an awesome tool. And uh, yeah, I love the fact that you created it and that it exists. Thank and, you. Uh, and, that, and that you can buy it now as well. So you don't even have to have a 3D printer. So you can, uh, yeah, Chris is, Chris is selling this. What, what's, what's the store name again? The store is named CMH Printed Designs uh, mm-hmm. Etsy.com. Okay, perfect. And uh, otherwise, you can find Chris on our on the Velo Club Slack channel. He's a, a frequent frequent <laughs> visitor, always lurking, always ready to tell someone to get a three D printer. Um, <laughs> and uh, and what are you on Instagram? How do how do people find you there? Chris Hirschap, and that's that's my last name. It's Chris, just C H R I S and H E E R S C H A P, which is my perfect. full last name. Perfect. All right. And uh, I guess just to rewind uh, a little bit on, on a previous question, uh, let's just let's just call them out here and here and now. Uh, what brand would you most like to see upload some designs to printables? Well, I'm wearing one of one of their <laughs> T-shirts right now. Uh, there are a ton of things I've made. I work for a Trek retail store on the side and mm. I have made so many things like I've got an Amanda ALR. And it's got the semi-internal cable routing where it goes in in the down tube. 
and there is a plastic insert that screws into place. And, uh, you know, I've printed a replacement for that. And uh, there's just a lot of little things. Uh, like the little control freak cable routing on mountain bikes. Yes, and, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I worked with uh, I worked with David Nealis in the Chattanooga store. There was he uh, many years back. He went to Trek training, and they handed out this little three D printed hook thing that you could use with the control freak routing to kind of like use the hook and gather up all the cables, the housing, and everything, and then put a zip tie on it. And the only problem was they made it really light and his had broken, but he kept taping it back together because it worked so well. And I'm like, you know, get me some measurements. And so I was sending him prototypes and he's like, okay, that's good, but this is a little too big. And uh, so I have a version now that he uses all the time. So I don't think you know this, but that tool is actually why I wanted a 3D printer originally. No way. That, that was the tool. Yeah, that that <laughs> single tool. I think I saw that pop up on Instagram, maybe like pre-Toolbox Wars days. I saw it somewhere and I was like, I have to get this. And I contacted like Abby Bike Tools and he's like, oh, I'm not going to make you that. <laughs> and then I contacted like all these people and I was just like, okay, a 3D printer, I, I, you know, 3D printer is the answer. And then I think I came across you on Instagram maybe through Toolbox Wars, yeah. and you had that tool for download. I was like, nope, that's it. I'm buying a 3D printer. Um, so there you go. That's, uh, that's, that's what it was for me. I had shared a, uh, a gauge for adapting a long acre uh, pressure gauge to work with bike, yep. bike stuff, yep. and I had shared that, and that was reshared by uh, Toolbox Wars, which was yes. one of the first things that kind of made it Instagram big, if you wish. And... Uh, so, and that's something I still need to list on the store as well. But uh, I think it was not long after that that you had contacted me, and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too funny. Well, yeah, it's, it's mutual respect. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I had been listening to the podcast for years before that. So, you know, you contact me, I'm like, I know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I, uh, I managed to use that tool. The, uh, uh, I can't remember. It was a few months ago. I finally managed to use that control freak tool and it was a uh, game changer. Awesome. Uh, I, I had previously come up with my own not solution to the problem of, of that, that cable routing, which was uh, involved zip ties and uh, glued on magnets oh, yeah. and a few other things. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's amazing what the what the right tool and the right idea can do. I've actually tried so, to find yeah. out who was the original designer of that because you know I'm just oh, yeah. building on somebody else's design. It yeah. was somebody yeah. in Trek Corporate, and nobody in Trek Corporate can tell me who it was. Some people are like, Secret. "Oh yeah, I know about that." Like Sean Owen knew <laughs> about it, and he's like, "Yeah, that was really cool." But nobody knows who it was because I always like to give credit to at least the inspiration of something that I've yeah. worked on. And I, I just have no idea who started that. It surely had to be the engineer who came up with the control freak cable routing. And he was just Probably. smugly sitting there knowing he had a tool and no one else did. That, <laughs> that would save the day. Um, yeah. That, or she that, had the tool. And yeah. Very possible. Yeah. So. All right. Well, it feels like a pretty good place to wrap things up. Uh, thank you, Chris, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having it's been, me. Uh, a lot of fun. It's been great chatting. Yeah.
As always, I'd like to thank the support of our Velo Club members, that includes you, Chris, and uh, Cycling Tip subscribers for helping us to create this content free of advertising. If you like this content, please consider showing your support with a subscription to cyclingtips.com. Also, we'd like for you to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you're listening from. It helps like-minded cyclists find us. Until next week, cheers. Cheers.